1: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Let's um, take a quick look at some of the top stories today. Target obviously in the news today, their profit trail forecasts, that's worthy of note, sort of. Um... They repaid some debt a little bit earlier than people were expecting. Problem was still there. They've been struggling to boost U.S. traffic. They are trying to rescue its botched expansion into Canada. Try to regain shoppers' trust after hackers stole millions of uh, customers' data last year. They've been giving away stuff below margin or at lower margin to drive traffic. It's driven by promotions right now, which can't last forever. Stores open at least 13 months were essentially flat in the U.S. Canada, somewhat softer than expected. Revenue was hurt by investments to clear slow-selling merchandise. Uh, Target Austin said it had $148 million in breach-related expenses in the quarter, including money set aside to cover existing and potential claims related to data theft. Ah, uh, so there you got it. There you got it. Let's talk a little real estate right now. Let's welcome in Tony Mendez, Tony Mendez is mortgage lender. You can find him at loansource.com That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony, fixing your credit. That's something we've all been there, gotten into a late payment. I have one in the last five years. And my story is kind of goofy. It was a mortgage payment that mm-hmm. I sent in the payment. They didn't cash the check. Uh-oh. Then they notify me, and they say, okay, now that you're almost late, send it to this P.O. box. And I thought I did. I'm pretty sure I did.
2: Yeah, and that's the worst one to, to pay late is the mortgage, especially if you're looking at other kind of uh, real estate transactions, because it really hangs on there for quite a while, no matter what your credit score is.
1: It dinged my credit.
2: Yeah. Uh, credit score has the biggest effect on your uh, rate and almost any product that you're going to get, whether it's a credit card, a car loan or a mortgage. The mortgage, obviously, is going to be the largest expense because you're going to pay that over 30 years, and it can really add up. The difference between a 640 score and a 740 score on a a traditional type of of loan is about 1%. On a $400,000 loan, that's $200 a month more that you're spending because you have a lower credit score. So the first thing I would do is get a copy of your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, or you can go to your creditor, Let's say you're doing a, a transaction of some sort. Hopefully, they'll be able to show you the, the the credit report. Check for accuracy. Make sure that everything's on there. And if there's some things that you can fix that are easy, try to do it on your own or use that creditor. If they're a lot more difficult, then you can try using some of these invasive credit card companies and they uh, credit repair companies. And they can range in price from $85 a month to a one-time $2,000, $3,000 fee, depending on how bad it is and how um, what's the necessity of, of – how quickly you need it so what's ironic or what's odd about a credit score is you
1: have to use credit and maintain credit to have a good credit right score. there's a
2: lot of misconceptions about how to keep your credit good yeah. and how to improve your credit
1: i for instance grew up as a young man thinking if i have no credit card debt they'll love me because i pay off my credit card where mm-hmm. a credit card
2: company wants you to carry a balance because that's how they make money and it's also how the it's part of their algorithms that they use to calculate your actual credit. You have to use your credit cards. The best way to do on a credit card, for example, is to have a balance below thirty um, percent of the limit. So if you have a limit of ten thousand, you want to keep it below three thousand. But you want to keep using it. You, you definitely want to, don't want to pay it off every month. Your credit score will be lower than somebody who actually has ten credit cards. They pay on time and keep their balances low. Another way to keep your credit uh, clean is is keep keep accounts open and don't close them but definitely make sure you manage them and so they don't get stolen and 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 that brings up another point too you also want to keep you want to keep them open. Eye on your account
1: well before we go there keeping your credit lines open
2: mm-hmm.
1: ages the account the well, average years that you've had credit so if you open up a lot of new credit cards mm-hmm. you're you've only had credit maybe from 5 years will go down to 1 year because you just opened right. 5 new credit cards so Correct. All, all those years of, of paying on time just got watered down because you opened up too many c- new credit cards.
2: Yeah, there's there's several factors that will affect your credit, um, your lower balances, uh, accuracy, collections, time, new accounts. Uh, the, there's three bureaus. There's Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, and dot .com at the end of the, each one of those, and you can go and get your own credit report. You can also d- do disputes. This is when you want to do your fixing your credit on your own. You can do a dispute through that agency or that bureau. Um, or you can use your creditor to do what they call rapid rescores. If you need a really quick transaction and there's something easy, maybe it was a, a mistake on your credit report, you can show up a bill and say, I did really pay this, and you can do a rapid rescore. And sometimes there's a big difference. Like if you're doing a rental property and you're buying a property, there's minimum scores you need to meet if you have a certain down payment. And some people need to do these types of rapid rescores. So getting in front of your credit is important. We talked about monitoring your credit. There's some good tools that you use. For instance... Credit Karma is one. Credit Karma. That's an app on a phone. It's an it's an app, but, but it, it it may not be the most effective tool to managing your your credit, but it gets you involved. It's it tells you that uh, all your accounts that are on there, what your balances are, and it also alerts you if this if new uh, new entries come up, new inquiries and and new credit. So it's a way that people get involved, and I think that everyone should be involved in their credit because it has such an impact in the in the financial industry.
1: Good idea. And one last final thought that I want to throw out there is to improve your credit score, go out and get a credit, you know? Go put a thousand dollars on your credit card and start paying it off slowly. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you really, really, really want to improve your credit, that's one way of doing it. Show that you could pay on time. We've been talking with Tony Mendez with bayarealoansource.com. That's bayarealoansource.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money invested in more. Uh, we can talk about the stock market. We talk about investing. Taking a peek at the stock market, for instance, shall we? Um, see how things are shaking out today. It's um, kind of down market. SP 500 down seven. The Dow's down fifty. Nasdaq down sixteen. It's not get up and jump around. Jump, 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 jump around. Um, Oil's under 100 a barrel. Gold still doing nothing. 1284 an ounce. Ten-year Treasury sits at 2.51%. Mm, that's okay. Apple's buyback pay most ever. So Apple's repurchasing, staking a claim as the most profitable on record. Buybacks remain one of America's most popular antidotes to the bear these days. Um, the f- iPhone maker is up 25% since it spent $18 billion of its own shares um, on its own shares between January and March, and rallied 32% after a $16 billion buyback in 2013. So that's pretty aggressive buyback. It's the highest four-month returns amongst the 20 biggest quarterly repurchases by any company since 1988. Ah, 1988, Duff Beer. It was a very good year. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I'm Rob Black. More. Joining me now, Briefing.com's Patrick O'Hare, Chief of Market Analyst. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? I'm doing well, Rob. Nice to be back with you. Good. Rumor has it you're headed out on vacation a couple times for the rest of the month. I'm happy to say that I can uh, substantiate that rumor, and I will be out next week. Does that mean the market's going to cur- go into a correction? Unfortunately, always- yes. It always seems to happen right
3: it does seem to it seems to do some crazy things when i 'm out of the office but um, uh you know correction uh i don 't know <laughs> um you know it hasn't Fair been enough. acting well lately here, but uh you know you set everything else aside all of these you know geopolitical headlines and interest rate fears and all of that you still can 't get past the fact that the market hasn 't had a ten percent pullback since August of two thousand and eleven, so it's kind of naive really to think that it can't just, you know, pull back in price (laughs) alone, you know, that uh, the market's gotten a little overextended and you're going to see some price setbacks every now and then. And uh, the problem is that, uh, you know, we get caught up in assigning a narrative to, you know, why exactly it goes down from one minute to the next, one day to the next. And you've always got to have a specific reason to explain it. And and a lot of times you just forget that, look, You know, sometimes prices go down. There's more selling interest than buying interest, and you get lower prices.
1: (laughs) I think Warren Buffett once said something along the lines of, Mother Market will do what Mother Market wants to do, and I guess that's the way of looking at it. And that's a massive paraphrase, by the way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So China services PMI. I'm looking at your page one, which is kind of a tear sheet for what's going to happen or what's happening up to the moment the market opens. Um, China's PMI, do we really – how much value do, do you put in some of these this data that comes out of China?
3: Well, yeah, PMI readings in general, we're not big fans of, frankly, at the time, you know, uh, one's mood is going to impact, I think, the the, the response. Um, you might get a big order, you know, one day that uh, before the, you know, survey is completed and you're feeling really good, and then two days after you've turned in your survey and you get two big cancellations, you're not feeling so great. but. In any event, um, you know, don't put a whole lot of stock uh, in terms of that services PMI number as being a a big market mover. or At least it should not be interpreted as such. Um, you know, obviously China is trying to reorient its economy to being more of a domestic uh, demand-led economy as opposed to an export-led economy, and so uh, from that end point. Um, you know, you could say that the the, the services number is reflection that you know things in China domestically are not as uh, robust as you might like to see them, and that perhaps the move you've seen in the Shanghai composite uh, has gotten a little carried away, and probably going to be due for a pullback of sorts uh, itself. But, um, you know, as a major factor driving the global markets. Uh, I think it's uh, putting too much stock in that particular number today to explain uh, the uh, the weakness we've seen.
1: Now, we look at Walmart and Target as kind of bellwethers for the U.S. consumer on the mid to low end. What's Target telling us today? Yeah, well, Target
3: is, is warning. Uh, they're not going to come up short of, uh, you know, the consensus earnings expectations for their second quarter. Um, Probably worth noting, they are still going to be you know plenty profitable, but they're just not going to match you know analysts' expectations and they're they're blaming it on higher expenses related to the data breach that was well publicized uh, during the uh, the fourth quarter last year and and then also probably more importantly they're uh, pinning it in part on uh, cautious consumer spending, uh, which is uh, you know an interesting acknowledgement uh, you know target has some company-specific issues, but, you know, you've seen Walmart also acknowledge that, uh, you know, their core, you know, audience is is being very conscientious about uh, discretionary spending activity, Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's it's not a – a perfect landscape out there, if you will, for certainly for the low- and the middle-income classes because they just don't have the the strong income growth to can continue to drive, you know, higher levels of discretionary spending. They're spending to need as opposed to spending for wants.
1: Do we make anything out of that, Mr. O'Hare, in the sense that the haves versus the have-nots? Um, <clears throat> I saw one report this morning that the economy would be doing much better if somehow we can get the low-income and middle low-income to participate a little bit more robustly in, in retail? Well, I
3: you know, I think that's an obvious conclusion. You know, if you could get the lower and middle-income classes to participate more, then sure, the economy would be doing better, but you need to get them the, you know, higher wages to, to help in that respect. You need to get more jobs uh, on that uh, end of things, and, and that's not happening. So, um, you know, it, it's easy to you obviously um, – Move into that discussion about you know the the, the widening wealth uh, differential. Uh, clearly, there is one, uh, and certainly as you you know from my seat as I follow the stock market every day, um, it's it, it's readily apparent you know that there certainly is going to be a big wealth gaps. Simply because there are more wealthy individuals who own individual stocks, uh, who have uh, higher balances in retirement accounts and things of that nature. Um, you know, I think half of you know Americans don't even own a stock. So, uh, and you can probably put a large part of the lower middle income classes in that in that uh, pool. And so, c- certainly, you know, as you see. What the Fed's interest rate policy has done to help drive uh, asset prices, you know, in terms of real estate and equity prices, uh, there are going to be a fair number of people that are left behind and that have missed out on those nice price appreciations um, because they don't own either. And that's why you're largely seeing a, a slow recovery, frankly, uh, or it's part of the reason, certainly, that you're getting this very slow recovery effort coming out of the Great Recession is because it's not an, uh, uh, you know, it's not, not everyone is participating in that or able to participate in it. And that's why a lot of people still think it feels very much and are acting very much as if it is still a recession.
1: So changing gears ever so slightly, earnings season's starting to wrap up, kind of, um, still has a little bit of a busy week. What's your conclusions?
3: Very good. Um, uh, you know, we're, uh, pushing, you know, 10% earnings per share growth according to S&P Capital IQ on about 5% revenue growth. Uh that was, you know, really much better than what was expected coming into the reporting period and uh, and I might be jumping your interview a little bit because that is probably one of the things I'm going to be working on uh later this week for briefing.com readers is 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 pointing out to them just, you know, this is what we have been wanting for you want, you know, urban you know asking for essentially is that double digit you know earnings per share growth uh, with uh you know signs of increasing demand uh through the top line it's not you know it's not robust demand but it is improving uh, somewhat which is encouraging um, but interestingly enough, you know no one's really you know talking about. The earnings, you know, are kind of wrapped up in all of the, the, you know, the geopolitical stuff, and uh, you know, Argentina's debt default, and, and Portugal's, you know, bank and needing a, you know, a capital raise, and so um, those are all, you know, kind of sc- some scary sounding factors. Um, and uh, but the the one factor that probably matters most for the equity market is earnings growth, and no one's really talking about it, and it it truly is you know, a fundamental source of support here that should, you know, preempt any, you know, major setback in the equity market uh, barring some type of exogenous shock.
1: When you look at something like growth in the service sector declines but it remains strong, one of the headlines out this morning on economic data, do you go, do you even look at that or do you go, eh, earnings are more important, so I'm not going to look at some of the, the noise per se. And, again, it's not noise. It's just it's ancillary compared to earnings.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you take a look at it. I think you might be referring to the market PMI report, um, and then we had the ISM services number that was out as well um, a, a short time ago, and that was actually, you know, uh, up from the prior month and still indicative of some pretty solid activity within the services sector, and that, you know, it all, it all leads back into, you know, the earnings uh, piece of information. You know, if you have um, – uh, expansion within the services sector, which is a large part of the U.S. economy, obviously, um, you know, that should bode well for companies within those areas that, um, you know, for them to be able to grow their earnings, and and that becomes a supportive factor, uh, you know, for the market. And uh, that's what I was alluding to a little bit earlier is, you know, double-digit EPS growth is something, you know, we haven't been seeing a whole lot of lately. And um, even though share buyback activity is contributing, you know, to that, um, you're starting to see the top line improve, which is a good thing. That's an encouraging thing, and it's something that, uh, you know, should not be overlooked in the context of everything else
1: that's going on right now. Sounds good. Is there anything else that we should be aware of that you're working on before you head off for vacation? Uh, no, I, you know, I've just been
3: alerting, you know, briefing.com readers to the idea that this week could be kind of a, a bit of a lumpy week. You know, you have got vacation schedules kicking in and then you also have a lot of people just trying to figure out what did happen last week. So you could see some, you know, nice moves up, some, some noticeable moves down and, you know, it may not
1: just uh, get too far in the end uh, as we try to sort things out here. Sounds good. Have a good time off. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for contributing today. And uh, again, well-deserved vacation. Thanks very much. Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. We just went over China, market movements, service sector growing, positive earnings season, and a little bit of a lumpy end of the quarter. People are going to go on vacation. That's worthy of note, right? Are you with me? Or are you against me? Because this is a civil war. You need to pick a side. You can contact me, Rob, at robloxshow.com. You can find out more about seminars that I'm doing, doing one in Marin coming up a couple weeks from now. You can find out about both wealth accumulation as well as a wealth management seminar at robblack.com coming up in Marin in a couple Saturdays. Sign up's a little sluggish, so sign up today at robblack.com. crazy world we live in at times, McDonald's going to appeal a $27 million court order. So not only does McDonald's have to worry about Americans getting smarter about nutrition and younger customers shunning the product, now they've got a lawsuit thrown at them tied towards the family of two teens from a Flower Mound, Texas. Flower Mound is a city who died after one of them was beaten to death in the parking lot of McDonald's. James Ward, who was 18 years old, was beaten to death in the parking lot of McDonald's. His girlfriend, Lauren Crisp, 19 years old, died in a car crash that occurred as a friend attempted to rush Ward to the hospital. Police had been dispatched. Yeah, right? Police had been dispatched to respond to criminal activity at least 27 times this year before the incident. Um... Attorneys say that McDonald's had the ability to improve security, and they didn't. Could you imagine that nightmare of being a parent where your 18-year-old son gets beaten to death or your 19-year-old daughter dies in a car crash while speeding to try to save said 18-year-old? Again, I think we all know that that's horrific. But also, I think in the back of our heads, we're like, well, if there was police activity there 27 times, These teenage kids probably shouldn't have been there. Um, And again, it just goes to show you how crazy uh, life can be at times. And how, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know, is all I can say there. Uh, You could expect the unexpected when it comes to financial whammies, when it comes to things like that tied towards uh you you know it's there's going to be horrible things that happen and like a uh like a charles dickens novel you know it seems to happen if you ever read a charles dickens novel it's it's a lot of drama chapter after chapter because at that point in time chapters were you know books were released in chapters sometimes so every chapter was kind of a kind of this big cliffhanger slash drama slash Aggressive feel to it. And long story short, when you put it all together, it's called life. You're going to have chapters in your life that are super dramatic and come out of nowhere. Um, And just to show you how, like, you glide this topic of an 18-year-old dying to the next topic smoothly and understand that chapters are dramatic, I've got two brothers who are attorneys. And at Christmas time, you know, when we were growing up, you know, commentary would start flowing, you know. And uh, one of the, the pieces of commentary was, if you ever hit someone in a car accident, put it in reverse and make sure they're dead. Because as personal injury attorneys, as attorneys, a dead person's worth a lot less than a disabled person. It's probably the most ludicrous thought, and it shows you how dark the family humor was, and in no way, shape, or form am I saying do that. But... There is mathematics to money. Um, just to you know, glide to another topic. I remember at one point in time I was rear-ended, and that's not an in, in innuendo for anything. I was in a car, and a car hit me from behind. And I remember, uh, you know, I looked at it as like well, I'm okay. And then that night my body just tensed up, and I did go to the hospital, and there was some cost tied towards it, and you know, recouping some of that was was frustrating. Do you get an attorney? Do you not get an attorney? You know, how long did you have to miss work? And uh, I remember it was diagnosed as a neck strain or something like that. It wasn't quite whiplash. But my whole back tensed up like I couldn't move. Um, so I guess I started seeing dollar signs, you know, because you did not at the scene of the accident, but later on you kind of did, which is one of the reasons why if you're ever going to get in a car accident, try to get as much data on the spot as you can. Um, In this day and age of cell phones, don't move your car. Take a picture of where the car is, then move your car. Um, Especially if you're not at fault, because stories tend to change. Um, Anyway, it's a world of money. Disney is a premium company, and we're going to learn this week, you know, Rupert Murdoch's Chasing Time Warner, trying to compete with Disney. Rupert Murdoch wants to to Mick Jagger to Bob Iger's Paul McCartney. Disney is so good at their results, it's kind of a one-stop shop checking in on the U.S. and global consumer. So, they paid $4.2 billion for Marvel Comics. Now they've had 10 movies come out, all of them massive hits, except for one. Way making that look like a cheap uh, stock. In the recession of 2009, Disney was aggressively buying companies. So, again, they paid $4.2 billion for Marvel Comics. It's generated $7 billion in box office, and it's completely obscured the decline of Pixar, which hasn't had a movie come out in a while. So this year, I think, is the first year that Pixar doesn't have a, a release. Disney just wins. Berber. Other companies are bigger and more profitable, but no one has Disney's clout. So uh, Disney will continually, continually uh, be a major consumer conglomerate. To get your calls in the air, it's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. CVS Caremark, AIG, Archer Daniels, and GM Resorts all beat earnings expectations. Coach reported better than expected earnings, and it indicated, um, you know, okay things. So it's hard to get overly excited by Coach when yesterday, me know, Michael Kors, a very similar type company making handbags and such, uh, reported very poor results going forward. So, um but see, Coach reported only a 17% decline in same-store sales. It was expected for a 21% drop. The Mugglies. Is it the Mugglies? Mowgli was in Jungle Book, right? Anyhow, Mowgli. So these are the Mowgli's. I was close. Memories sometimes, eh. But I was close with the memory, right? Take a break here. This is Rob Black, your money. Don't forget, got a big seminar coming up in Marin. Sign up is very limited for a couple Saturdays from now. So sign up soon before I pull the cord on that event. Rob Black, your money. Go to RobBlack.com.
4: 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
1: Welcome in. Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about? We could talk about. Hmm. I think one of the areas that frustrates me the most is the bad advice that's given out on a regular basis in the industry. And I use the financial industry to cover a lot. It could be brokers, stock brokers, people who help you buy and sell stocks. That. I'm really surprised they're still around. It's an industry that's changed a lot, and I think it's pretty easy to accumulate wealth. But they will make you think that you can't do it yourself. I think managing wealth is a little bit trickier because you don't know some of the complexities tied towards taxes and efficiencies that are just sometimes mathematical. You know, uh, at some point in time, if you own a company, you probably want to top out your paycheck and go more towards bonuses. You might want to, you know, open up a 529 plan for everyone in the company or open up, you know, uh, matching and things like that that can boost your ability to, you know, pay yourself a little bit more in the paycheck. One of the areas that frustrates me the most is, again, from age 20 to 60, you work. And then from age 60 to 100, you live off that. And one of the more important things that you can do, in my opinion, is do it right and cut down on your mistakes. And that's how you do it right. Um, you need insurance, you need to invest for the long term, you need to save for big-ticket purchases like cars and homes and vacations or whatever is out there. You need to use credit responsibly so you're not carrying a balance month to month. Um, And if you do, just for a very short period of time, my lines of credit include everything from, you know, mortgages to credit cards to car loans and I'm not against getting a car loan at 0% or 1%. It helps me establish the fact that I can pay my credit on a monthly basis. I'm against 12% credit cards. But probably the area that irks me the most is just playing out bad financial advice by quote-unquote professionals. And one area that hits you the worst is in insurance. Insurance agents should not, I think our government should somehow ban insurance agents from giving financial advice. Insurance, by its definition, it insures you, right? It protects you. I'm not about wasting money. And you start wasting money when you start getting insurance that, hey, not only will it insure you, but it'll also, you know, be an investment for you. Let the insurance be insurance. Let the investment be an investment. Separate the two. Go with low cost both. There's, that's the way to do it. Don't go for the high cost blended product, so if you buy the wrong life insurance product life insurance policy for instance you can waste a ton of money and still leave your family woefully unprotected. You don't need life insurance in my opinion until you have a spouse that needs your income or until you have children that need your income. You insure what you can't afford to lose. Some agents will try to cram down coverage down your throat. Sometimes they do this because they make more of a commission when they sell you whole life or variable life insurance or some type of permanent life as opposed to term. I have term life insurance to protect me and my loved ones. You should have term life insurance to protect you and your loved ones. I have it set for a period of 20 years. Let me give you an idea why 20 years. Let's say you get married at age 20. You get the low-cost life insurance. You protect your income in case you die from age 20 to 40. You can go 30 years if you want, but I'd go 20 to start. It's a product that can't really be Upsold. It's a product with no commission or low commission. Um, at the end of the day, that will be the best product for you. If you get married at 20 and you work from you know, 20 to 40 and you're saving 15% of your paycheck, when you die at 41, your spouse has all of your savings. So you don't need it anymore. I have a grandmother that lived 90-plus years old. If she had whole life insurance, she would have paid from age 20 to 90, 70 years. You know what she died with? She died with a farm in Orange County. She died with an oil well in Orange County. And she died with millions of dollars in the bank from saving over her lifetime. Didn't need life insurance, did she? So when her husband died five years previous, um, she didn't need the money because she had a farm. She had a... Uh, uh, oil well she had millions of dollars in investments so to me it's it's pretty crazy permanent life insurance agents use guilt on you that's the number one trick that they use they claim that if you have dependents and don't buy their insurance then you're responsible but they're saying their insurance when in reality you are irresponsible if you have children and don't have term life insurance it's the cheapest one out there like I said I got term life through Geico or USAA, whoever you want to get it through, fine. It doesn't mean that you need, you know, malformed schlock that they're selling. You can buy a heck of a lot more term insurance, often ten times more insurance, for the same premium you get with permanent. You might say that people who buy term life care ten times more about their family than people who buy whole life, universal life, or variable life. Another excuse they'll use on why, or guilt trick they'll use, is it's forced savings. This is a true statement. When you do have variable life insurance, you have it for, you get a little investment. When you have permanent life insurance, you get, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, you pay yourself a little bit. But you get really horrible, terrible guaranteed rates for this product. If you need a guaranteed savings plan, just automate monthly drafts out of your checking account. I do. When I was 18 years old, I knew that I wanted to save every month, but I knew that I wouldn't do it unless I told the mutual fund company, yeah, you can take $166 a month out of my, my, out of my paycheck and or out of my checking account. And they did. The feature of being forced to make lousy investments is not a good benefit to you from the world of insurance, in my opinion. There's agents that'll use the trick. It's always there. Agents sometimes argue that unlike term, permanent life insurance is always there. So that's not always the case though because the premiums are so extraterrestrially high, a lot of people cancel their coverage before they can make a claim. According to statistics, 40% of permanent life insurance buyers junk their policies within the first 10 years. And who's to say that the people who hold on to the policies actually need it? Again, life insurance is really the most important between ages 25 and 40. After that, the need dissipates for most people. You know, you might be one of the few who still need it, but why bet on that? And another trick that the insurance agents will do is you may not be insurable in later years. It's a guilt thing. It's kind of like a scare tactic. As I've said time and time and time again, If people depend on you and you can't self-insurance, you really might need life insurance, but that doesn't mean you have to throw good money after bad coverage. A 45-year-old person buying $500,000 coverage would save over $130,000 over 20 years if they buy term rather than whole life. That's a lot of money. If a 45-year-old buys 20-year term, that keeps the insurance in place until 65, and hopefully that's long after the kids are out of the house and the spouse has, you know, got enough savings and the mortgage is paid off. Be very, very careful on the guarantees and the tricks that insurance agents use to get you to part with your money for crap product that you really don't need. I'm Rob Black. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking money, investing, and everything else. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the areas that I like to discuss, if I may, is, you know, allocations. It's kind of an odd concept, but let's work with it here. How much money should you have in emerging markets? Now, we're all different, so please note that, okay? That's right there I have to start and say we're all different. So, um, what should you have? It depends on what you need. Not a year goes by before emerging market stocks remind people that they're risky, whether it's in Argentina or Russia. But yet, not a year goes by where we don't look at emerging markets and go, hmm, that's kind of interesting. I might want some of that for me. So it's a bit of a damnation game. You see the risk, but you also see the reward. And you want. And I understand. I would be cautious in trying to understand your emotions and your feelings on this. The emerging markets have characteristics that make them prudent for a balanced portfolio. I absolutely think so. Balanced means I've got a little bit of growth and a little bit of value. Companies like Disney, which I'm going to hold till infinity and beyond, are great companies. They're going to report earnings tonight. I don't want you to say, I'm going to make money this year on Disney. I'm going to make money later um, on Disney. So is that an emerging market? New? No. Does Disney give you exposure to some emerging markets? Yes, because they're such a big conglomerate. Um, as far as some other ideas tied towards this argument, the IFA Emerging Markets Index is generating an average annual compounded return of 12.8%. Over the long term, that's an outstanding return compared to the S&P 500, which is averaged 9.8%. return of global bonds. So stocks are pretty good to own on an emerging market international kind of level. Emerging market stocks come with risk. That's much larger than, you know, uh, most asset classes. You know, I wouldn't invest in Russia. I think anyone that does doesn't see that the guy's a dictator and changes his mind too frequently. Rather than scaring you away from emerging markets... Let the volatility work for you. You know, every year, I think you should buy some emerging markets so that you're, you know, getting in. Should you buy at five-year highs? Maybe not. You can wait for the market to zag instead of zigging. I think that's the right way of saying that. Emerging market stocks tend to zag. Emerging markets tend to zig when we're zagging. They tend to go higher when we're going lower and vice versa. If you're absolutely most risk-tolerant investor out there and you, you know, can't handle the stress, you know, absolutely, I still think you should get, you know, 5 to 10% involved in emerging markets. So I think you can go as low as 1% if you're fearful, but if you can conquer the fear and look at the long term and see that over the long term, emerging markets average 12.8%, I think you'd be foolish, foolish, I tell you, not to jump in and say this might be able to work for me. Um. Anyway, over time, emerging markets are something that you want. Um, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. I kick out Russia. Um, I'll go, you know. India and China, for sure. Brazil, I can make a case for, but I, there's only so much in my portfolio, so I really can't. I'm more of a tiger investor, as far as growth goes, than Latin America, South America, and I don't know why. I ask myself, am I being, you know, biased for any reason? It's like our media constantly reports on what's going on in Europe and Asia. Our media never reports what's going on in Brazil, I don't know why. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can always email the show, rob at robblackshow.com. I have events that are always coming up, whether it's in Marin or on the peninsula. You can sign up for the events at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Typically, I do a wealth creation event for people who are between the ages of 20 and 45 on how to create wealth in your lifetime. And then sometimes I do an event called Wealth Preservation, which is about you've accumulated wealth from age 20 to 60 or you've planned to, and now that you're in the last 5, 10 years of that plan before you hit retirement or even in retirement, that's the event for you, making sure that you pull down your money in a tax-efficient kind of manner. You can sign up for the events at robblack.com, it's robblack.com. I want to throw one last thought out there during this break. Is Hulk Hogan is training for one last match? I don't know why i tell you that other than to say, maybe you do work past 60 sometimes, because he's got to be 60, right? Right? Anyway, find me online at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, money, investing, and more. Again, I do seminars, and I'd love for you to sign up before I cancel it. And we're in. Um, Going to be there a couple Saturdays from now in Santa Rafael. And I would love for that to, to fill up a little bit more. Uh, doing two events, one on wealth management in the morning and one on wealth creation in the afternoon. They're pretty good events. Um, you can sign up for them at robblack.com. Four points by Sheraton and Center Fell, Saturday, August 16th, 9th, noon is the wealth management one. Um, I.e., it's for people 40-plus looking for generating steady sources of income in retirement, uh, talking about diversification, state planning tips, bond alternatives, rebalancing portfolio, asset allocation, much, much more. The afternoon, the event is me going over 20 ideas that you need to know to get wealthy. Um, Pretty hardcore. Bring your questions, bring your portfolios, um, and, you know, I will get back to you with some feedback on what you have and where you are as far as retirement goes. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. If you want to drop me an email, you can drop it to rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Taking a look at the markets today, we see China's services uh, PMI slid to a reading of about 50. We got mixed PMI readings across the Eurozone. Um, The numbers that came out today for the United States services sector were pretty robust, all things considered. So that's worthy of note, U.S. looking pretty good, all things considered. So saw an interesting study on buybacks and how much they're helping companies. Companies that are doing large buybacks are beating the market pretty aggressively. Unfortunately, that's a little bit of a bad indicator for the future. Uh, You want companies sometimes using their cash to increase their dividends or buybacks is an option for sure. Um, I like the dividends a little bit more. Um, and or use that cash to invest in the future. So Apple um, has had two of the biggest quarters ever, um, and it's it's paid off in their stock, spurred by 0% interest rates and highest cash balances on records. Companies across the United States are plowing money. Um, there's $159 billion of buybacks in the first quarter alone. And again, I look at that as a negative because eventually you're going to run out of cash to buy back your shares, and you're going to be left. You need to have sales. Gluten-free labeling standards are kicking in this week. So to be technically gluten-free, you have to have 20 parts per million of gluten, so less than 20 parts. And, you know, this is an industry that has obviously benefited enormously from people diagnosing themselves with gluten disease and celiac disease. Uh, Very rare diagnosis, but people still seem to think they're better off without the gluten. San Francisco is the home of the least affordable housing market for millennials, and yet we've seen a 67% rise in millennials coming to the Bay Area. It's between 2007 and 2013. It takes 78% of your income to afford a home to buy. It takes about what is it, 42% of your income to, on rent. Keep in mind, experts say don't spend more than 30%. And again, uh, some of these numbers I don't actually ultimately believe. A three-bedroom property to rent in San Francisco is $2,600. Good luck finding that. So millennials are kind of like little bugs to the people who've lived in San Francisco for such a long time. And it's kind of the anti-tech gentrification protests that have, are coming increasingly common in San Francisco. When I lived in San Francisco, there was kind of a gentrification thing going on. And gentrification basically means getting rid of poor people, getting rid of people who, you know, make $40,000 a year or less. Um, you know, it's becoming more and more common, not just, again, in San Francisco, but like Alameda. People are spending 37% of their salaries on, on rent. Three-bedroom place in Alameda, 2200 bucks. So that ain't cheap. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, a lot of the obvious are kicking in for sure. Um, There's some not so obvious, like Baltimore-Towson. So, I don't know. How about an up-and-coming neighborhood? NOPA in San Francisco. Um, Most people haven't even heard of NOPA. So uh, in Seattle, it's an area called Roosevelt. It's North Oak Park in Sacramento. Anyway, uh, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. So some mixed readings across the Eurozone. Consumer staples. Uh, today, doing well. Industrial's doing well. Taking a look at some of the other stories out there. Toyota saw profit up nearly 5% on sales growth. That's nice for basically everyone involved. Target, they chose a new CEO last week, uh, and yet their profit trailed its forecasts for the United States and it remained weak in Canada. So, Target will eventually work itself out of this. As far as Target stock, I think you can make a case for it as a long term patient investor. Um, Are there better retail plays? Probably. So, you know, maybe you go, this is going to be my company that has a turnaround, and you're getting it for a little bit cheaper than historically you've been able to. Um, It's not a company that excites me, quite honestly. So, uh, I could say nice things about it. Uh, In the last five years, it's gone from $44 to $60. But since their data breach, it's been pretty rough. Going from sixty-five dollars to sixty dollars, I can make a case for long-term patient investor, though, right? And that's sometimes a check to do in your portfolio. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to sign up at robblack.com for the event coming up. It's robblack.com. Views
4: and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. This station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision